0: This is the Practical Teaching Tips podcast. I am your host, Richard James Rogers, high school science and chemistry teacher and author of the award-winning book, The Quick Guide to Classroom Management. Hello everybody and welcome to today's edition of the Practical Teaching Tips podcast. As teachers we collect and use lots of data and most commonly we use the data for recording attainment and monitoring progress. But did you know that the data we record can also be used to empower and motivate our students? To illustrate my point, I'd like to um, relay a story of a student who I once taught a number of years ago and um, describe what happened. So, he was rather a quiet student um, and one day I had given him an end-of-topic test in science and he did pretty well on this test that he'd done. So he got the test back, and he, um, he fumbled through the pages. He wasn't used to achieving well academically. He tried often to revise and study, but he found that distractions at home would get in the way, especially online gaming, which is a big problem these days. He receives, or he used to receive, validation and enjoyment from superfluous things in life, such as killing a number of robots in a particular online game or um, or, or um, just normal everyday things that teenagers like. But he, he wasn't really someone who was used to receiving validation or empowerment or a sense of self-worth from his academic achievements. But he did have a number of hobbies and interests outside of school where he um, he achieved rather well in those hobbies. Um, but he hadn't really learned to gain power from his personal progress, power that was real and tangible, as opposed to intangible and virtual, which is the kind of... Um, the kind of empowerment he was getting from his online gaming. And this is one thing that I used to think as a child, even as a teenager, because as a, um, as I guess, a semi-digital native myself, I had a gaming computer since I was five years old, and that's going back a long time because I'm 38 years old now. And I know what it feels like to be addicted to computer gaming, and what I found was that my achievements in school when I would get a good grade on a test or a homework or a piece of classwork were always much more meaningful to me and seemed more tangible than any achievements I got in a computer game. And I never really understood, even back in those days, why people spent so much time trying to advance through levels on a computer game and felt proud of their achievements, I I used to think that all of that effort was worthless. But anyway, on this um, particular end of topic test that this student did, um, he actually left about 50% of the paper blanked. Uh, He he didn't fill in 50% of it. So I marked the paper, I handed it back to him the next lesson, and he found out that he got a grade E um, now for many students a grade E would be devastating, but for this particular student he wasn't surprised he was he was used to getting uh, low grades in school it, it wasn't a big deal for him but then a moment came everybody in this student's life where I thought to myself and this is this is going back maybe five or six years. And I just thought, you know, I cannot let this happen again. I am his teacher. I and I alone am responsible for his progress. Now, I think everybody as teachers, we often make the mistake of putting too much responsibility in the hands of our students, especially as they get older. And yet I look back and I think a lot of us look back to when we teenagers when we were 17, 18, maybe 19 years old and cringe at the people we were back then. I know I certainly do. I was very, very immature at that age. I mean, it it pains me to look back and think of um, the person I was at times and the silly mistakes I made back in those days. But anyway, with this student, I thought, I cannot let this happen again and I'm not going to let this happen again and I simply will not accept mediocrity again. And as teachers, when that moment comes, when we say to ourselves, as a teacher, I am not willing to accept mediocrity or poor performance from this student, when that moment happens, very powerful changes can take place and we can literally change our students' lives. So, what did I do with this particular student? Well, I talked at length with him in a one-to-one conversation, something I advocate a lot for in these episodes, you will have noticed. And I talked about what went wrong with his test. And he told me that he ran out of time. He told me that he didn't understand some of the questions. So, of course, I went through them with him one at a time. And of course. I will admit that this one-to-one conversation, if I remember rightly all those years ago, it did eat into some of my free time. I think I spent maybe a lunchtime or a few lunchtimes doing this. Nowadays, I would probably do that during a live marking session and get the students working on a task and call students like this to my desk one at a time during lesson time to talk about it. But... Anyway, the time investment on my part was worth it. And he told me, this this student told me, that he truthfully did not spend any time revising for his test. Now, I could have just left it there. I could have just recorded that in my notebook or maybe in my spreadsheet, in my Google sheet, and just said, um, this student didn't revise for his test. He left 50% blank. And that's why he got a low score. And that way I've covered myself, right? As a teacher, who can criticise me? It's the student's fault. The student left 50% of the paper blank. The student admitted to me that he didn't revise. And I would record the date and time of that conversation. Well, I personally think that's the wrong approach that teachers should take. And I understand that sometimes we are put in a position as teachers where we have to justify ourselves and we have to justify the poor grades that students get and recording information like the student student admitted that he didn't revise the student left 10 questions blank in the paper that can help our case and I, I totally understand when teachers feel like they're in that position where they have to justify everything but I don't think it's the right approach, so what did I do next? Well, I told him that he absolutely must get a grade D in his next test. Failure is not an option. So, I wasn't just recording this data. I wasn't just recording the fact that he left half the paper blank and he got a grade E. I had to do something about it. I didn't just want to leave it. Now, I could have done I could have just left it and said, okay, well, we've gone through the test paper, try better next time, and just left it at that. And most of the time, what would happen is the student would would not improve in that particular case unless the next assessment was easier or or covered material that was more accessible. But I I didn't want to do that. He needed to have a target for his next test, and I, I had to break this cycle of mediocrity and poor performance. So I told him, um, your next target is a grade D for your next test. So um, our conversation was, was something like this. What's your target for your next test? A grade D, sir, he said. Yes, and I know you can achieve that because I've seen your amazing work in class with me before. And I had seen some of his great work. He'd, he'd done well in some experimental work we'd done. He'd produced some good homeworks. And the reason I did that was I was priming him. I was telling him that I believe in him. And crucially, one thing we forget as teachers sometimes is we forget to tell our students why we believe in them. Because if we're going to convince our students that we really do truly believe in their abilities and we believe in them as people, then we have to tell them why, what's the reason, are you just saying this to make me feel good, or are you saying this because you've got a real reason to believe in it? Um, And there was a real reason, I'd seen his good work before, so I knew he was capable of better grades, so it wasn't a lie I've made up, or I'd made up at that time, I really meant it. And that's important everybody, when we are encouraging our students, when we are trying to empower our students and get them feeling good about themselves and get them to push themselves, we have to tell the students why. Why we feel that they can achieve things. And it helps, I'm sorry to say, if you've known the student for quite a while. Now, of course, you can still achieve this as a newly qualified teacher or a teacher who's not been in school that long. But it gets more powerful the longer you've known the student. And that's just that's just a, a fact of life, really. Now, the next question I asked this student was, what can you do to make sure that you get that grade D? And he responded to me with something like, I can review the textbook questions on Google Classroom. I can look at notes. I can go through the BBC bite-sized material. I can go through my past test again. And what I did there was I made sure he knows what he can do or what he could do to make this big change in his life. And for this student, going from a grade E to a grade D was not necessarily a massive change, but it was just the fact that he was focusing on improving. That was something different for him. It wasn't something that he was used to doing. So his next test wasn't until five weeks later and this was perfect for me as a teacher because it gave me the opportunity to work on his self-motivation subtly. Now this is a process I call subtle reinforcement but basically it involves reminding the student regularly of what their targets are and how they're going to achieve them. So I saw him on the corridors infrequently around school Um, And I would say to him, what's your target for your next test? And he would tell me, a grade D, sir. Um, I would see him in class as the five weeks passed by. And I would ask him, how's your prep for the next test going? I'm working on it, he would tell me. Um, And then the test day came. And he actually achieved a grade D. And it was one mark off a grade C. And he asked to see me at the end of class and he was, he was so excited, he, I don't think he himself could believe what he'd achieved. And what he said to me was words of the effect of, this is the first time this has happened to me. That's what he said to me, this is the first time this has happened to me. And I responded to him, and this is how we should always respond when, when students have a big achievement. And I said to him, you made it happen, we can all achieve what we aim for if we do actually aim and work but you did all the hard work and I told him that and for the first time in this student's life it would seem he felt deeply at an emotional level what it means to make something happen not what it means to let something happen not what it means to have something happen randomly but what it means to actually make something happen So when we empower our students like this, we're actually building within them the drive and the tenacity and the life skills needed to make changes in life. So how does this relate to data? We collect data as teachers, but how do we use data? Well, my question to teachers today is this. We are all very good at collecting data, but do we actually use that data to enact massive change in our students do we use that data to initiate the momentum of self-actualization for our students the story i've told you today of my former student is typical of hundreds of students i've had the pleasure of working with over the past 16 years when a teacher truly and genuinely and it has to be sincere and genuine but when a teacher genuinely believes in a student's capabilities and then uses the leverage everybody that data provides, amazing things really can happen. I've got a number of great examples over my teaching career. Some of them I only discovered after I had left a school and communicated with a student many years later. A great example that comes to mind was a student I taught at my first international school in Thailand in 2008. I taught her as a 15-year-old IGCSE student at that time. She is now... Oh, how old is she now? She's almost 30 years old now. Um, And anyway, I taught her an after-school club, uh, Beginner's German. And German was a subject that wasn't actually offered at that school. I just ran it as a club for for the interest of the students who would join, and I was very very enthusiastic back in those days as as I am today, but I think even more so back then. I was very young and I was willing I was eager to prove myself um, maybe more than more than i um I am in my my old age and my 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 cynical mindset that I sometimes have today but anyway um I recorded data even for that ECA, that that extracurricular activity and we started doing conversations, we started doing role plays in class, we did written activities, we did listening activities and I recorded this this girl's progress each lesson and I would tell her, oh, you got 10 out of uh, 20 today, Uh, next week let's aim for 11 out of 20, okay? And it was great. It was a really good way, and I I did this with all the students in the club. But it was a great way to just motivate them, and they were excited. They they wanted to they wanted to beat each other, so there was some healthy competition in the class, and they wanted to beat their previous score. And and I think the magic of that club was that I did it every week, so there was a weekly quiz and there was a weekly um, set of activities and. Every week, that the kids, the students wanted to beat their previous score and beat each other. So, it was a lot of fun. And anyway, that academic year, at the end of that academic year, I left that school and moved to a new school. And I lost touch with this student, but I found out many years later through social media when she was maybe 26, 27 years old, uh, when she'd graduated from university, I'd found out that she actually went to study German at university, and she did her bachelor's degree in German, and she now works as a translator um, for for one of the embassies here in Bangkok, and she she translates German, English, and Thai, so, and Chinese, she speaks Chinese as well, and wow, what a great story that was, and when I'd spoken with her, she said, if you had not ran that extracurricular club and made it so much fun, I would never have gone to university to study German language because the first time she'd learnt German was with me in that club. So just inspiring story. And as a teacher, that is that is really the the legacy I like to have is that somehow I've made... A positive change in the lives of my students. You know, I don't know how long I'm gonna be on this planet. Nobody does, you know. I could I could drop dead tomorrow. But I'd like to think that the impact I've had in this world has been more positive than negative. And I'm not perfect, not by not by a long shot. Trust me, I've made lots of mistakes in my life. I continue to make mistakes on a near-daily basis. But at least as a teacher, we get the chance to really profoundly change our students' lives, literally, but only if we are passionate and dedicated to do so and only if we put the effort in. And I'm sorry to say, and forgive me if this sounds patronizing, but there are just too many teachers in the profession today who are only doing this job as a teacher because it's a job, they're only doing it because they fell into the profession. And they're only doing it because it was better than all the other options available in terms of salary. And it's just it's just really not nice to see. Being a teacher is a vocation, it's a calling. It's it's something that it's such an, an honor, actually, to be a teacher because we're we're influencing the next generation. There's massive responsibility on our shoulders. I recognize that. Um, It's not particularly, as as professions go, it's kind of in the middle in terms of payment and salary. But there are a lot of perks of being a teacher. And I I think the biggest perk is the fact that we, we get to see, especially nowadays with how we're all connected to each other through the internet and the world wide web, we get to see the end result of our efforts many years later often. And we get to see the effect we've had on our students and on their lives. And and it's great in that respect, but we've got to put the effort in um, and data really can be used to empower and motivate our students, give students target grades, which are believable, and achievable and crucially remind our students of their target grades regularly and of course ask our students how will you achieve this grade what are you going to do to make this happen and i know you can make it happen because look at what you did here here and here so that is what we've got to do everybody And it doesn't just work with students, we can actually use it for ourselves. Now, I'm a little bit quirky in many respects. I actually monitor myself with data. Um, Every week, I well, every day, actually, I fill in a a kind of table I've drawn for myself, which measures a number of parameters, such as um, if I've gone jogging, if I've done press-ups, my exercise routine, my diet uh, routine... Uh, my productivity, the work I've done. Uh, For example, this podcast episode today um, is in my table. So now that I've completed this, I'll tick it in my table. And every Saturday, I look over what I've done for the week and I formulate targets for the week ahead and and I look at my progress and attainment. So maybe I'm a little bit weird (laughs) in that respect, but I do find that it works it does work if you stick to it. It's not nice at first. It's it's difficult at first. But after a few weeks of doing it, it becomes second nature and it does work. And if you're a parent, consider using it with your children. You know, consider um, having um, some kind of weekly um, goal to aim for and remind your children of how well they've done on a regular basis and what their target is next time. Uh, you'll, you'll have to decide what the... Um, what the items are, and what the projects are, and what those particular parameters are, but it's a very effective um, strategy to use data, not just to monitor progress, not just to record attainment, not just to record the outcomes of discussions, but using data to empower students formulate target grades which are believable and achievable and let the student know the progress they've made and remind students of how well they're achieving even if their their achievements are minuscule. You know there are so many students out there who are just craving and I mean craving for someone to recognize their abilities, their achievements, who they are and what they can bring to the table There are so many students, and I've seen this so many times, who they don't get validation from um, parents at home sometimes for various reasons, and that's not a criticism of parents. There are many reasons why some students will go home and not receive the um, compassion, the love, the attention, the, um, the validation from parents and family. There's all kinds of issues and there are lots of students who are looking to us as teachers to provide them with the um, motivation, the drive, the power, the belief in them to just take them to the next level and we have a responsibility to do that as teachers and what an awesome responsibility it is that's been placed in our hands. So thank you everybody. I really hope that what I've said today is clear I really hope it is um, interesting. I hope you've learned something. If you find find these episodes useful, please do share them with colleagues and please check out my blog for teachers, which is um, richardjamesrogers.com. And on there, you'll find a blog index which has hundreds and hundreds of articles covering every aspect of teaching. And I, I try to write a blog post every week Um, I've not been as disciplined with that recently, but I I do try my best to do that. Um, So check that out. Um, And also, um, check out my books for teachers. Um, My most famous book is The Quick Guide to Classroom Management, 45 Secrets That All High School Teachers Need to Know. And that book has actually won the Reader's Favourite Bronze Medal for nonfiction. And it's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Book Depository, A Books, and um, All Good Retailers. So do check that one out. And my second most um, well-known book is The Power of Praise, Empowering Students Through Positive Feedback. It's a bit smaller than my first book, but it goes into the uh, mechanics of using a wide variety of strategies to empower, motivate, and Um, drive our students forward so that they themselves want to succeed, because that really is the end goal, even of using just this aspect of using data to empower students. The end goal is we have to make the students want to change. We have to make the students want to achieve, because they're not going to achieve if they don't want to achieve. And there's two ways we can make students want to achieve. We can threaten them with sanctions, or we can gradually build up their self-confidence. The self-confidence route always works better than the sanctions route. And this is why I and many educators advocate for the use of sanctions much less than the use of rewards and praise and empowerment. So thank you so much, everybody. That's it for today. Take care, stay safe, and enjoy teaching.